Well, we have been looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Been looking at a picture from the New Testament, from Ephesians chapter 4, at some marks of those that profess faith in Christ and then desire to live for Christ. After all, that's what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we've seen in that particular uh, section of Scripture in God's Word in the New Testament book of Ephesians that that those who, who follow Christ and desire to live for Christ will stand out in the world. That the relationship with God through Jesus Christ causes them to look a certain way and to act a certain way and to think a certain way and to live a certain way as they go about their life in this world. If you're a businessman or a businesswoman, then you should look like a business person who follows Jesus Christ. If you're a teacher, then you should look like a teacher who follows Jesus Christ. If you're a student, then the things that you say and the things that you do, the way that you act ought to show that you are a Christian student. And the same thing should be true if you're a pharmacist or a doctor or a lawyer or a chef or a contractor or an electrician or an engineer or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or whoever you are. Your life ought to look as if you are a follower of Christ, even as it relates to a specific calling in your life. That no matter what your specific vocational or relational calling is in life, all of us as believers in Jesus are called to an even greater task, a higher calling. All of us as believers in Christ, all of us as Christians are called to to worship God by making disciples of Christ in all nations. We are called to worship God by making disciples of Christ in all nations. And so this morning we revisit a popular passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew's Gospel, a passage of Scripture that uh, I preached from back in April of this year as I laid out three kind of core values for us to, to boldly pursue as believers in Jesus in this place as part of this church. And so we revisit that text this morning from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, with the hopes of allowing Jesus' words through Matthew at the end of Matthew's gospel to speak to us as a congregation about where we have been for the last few months in our worship gatherings, where we are now, and where I anticipate us going. So Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Scripture reads this way. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This commission, this calling, 
this command that Jesus gave his original disciples, as recorded right here in Matthew chapter 28, is a, a calling for all believers, a calling for all followers of Jesus. This isn't limited just to, to those original disciples. This is a task that he charged them with to then go and produce other followers of Jesus who would produce other followers, who would produce other followers. And so we, as followers of Jesus, who gather together this morning as part of this church, are charged with this command that Jesus gave his original disciples to worship him by making disciples of him in all nations. And ultimately, this particular passage tells us, as individual followers of Christ, as individual Christians, what our lives are ultimately to be about. You see, the purpose of your life and my life is, is not simply to enjoy life. The purpose of your life is, is not simply to, to get rich. The purpose of life is, is not to be a husband or, or a wife or a, or a parent or to own a vacation home or, or to cheer for the, the best team or even to eliminate world hunger. As great as that is, as great as a number of those things are, ultimately, our lives are to be about worshiping God by making other followers of Jesus Christ in all nations. That is our task. That is our calling. And because that's what we're called to do clearly from Scripture, I want us to see several ways in which we as believers are to be making much of Jesus. We are called as the church, corporately and individually as followers of Christ, to be making much of Jesus with our lives. And by making much of Jesus, I'm not talking about uh, somehow making, making Jesus of more intrinsic worth or value by our desire for him and appreciation of Him, and recognition of Him. You see, the value of God is, is not tied to supply and demand. He is not a commodity whose worth goes up and down as other things do in this world. He is not like gold and, and silver or diamonds or other natural elements or minerals that are found in this world whose value oscillates in times and seasons. You see, the value of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is always up. His worth never changes. From one time to another, He is, is worth more than anything. And so, by making much of Jesus, we're not, we're not talking about somehow making Him worth more, but, but I'm talking about living in such a way as to declare and proclaim the worth that is already ascribed to him. Living in such a way as, as to declare to the rest of the world who he is and how much he is worth. And so three ways that I think that we can find right here in this passage to make much of Jesus with our lives. Three ways in which we make much of Jesus. And we make much of Jesus through our worship, through our discipleship, and through our missions. As a church, we can, we can make much of Jesus. We can declare his worth and who he is through our worship, through our discipleship, 
and through omissions. And I think that each of these are tied directly to, to not only this particular passage of Scripture, but to, to the picture of the church in the New Testament as well. And this morning, I want us to see three biblical truths based on Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 for us as followers of Jesus this morning. And the first is this, that Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. Look back at verses 16 through 18. Then the 11 disciples, 11 because you remember that Judas Iscariot betrayed Christ. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, the right response to who Jesus is, is always to worship him. The right response to seeing Jesus is to worship him, to declare his greatness, to declare his praise, to declare his glory. After all, he is the way and the truth and the life, John chapter 14, verse 6. And he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And the writer to Colossians, which is uh, the Apostle Paul, said that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things were hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Just this past week, my family ate in a local restaurant, and I'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant, but the employees in that particular restaurant were clearly in a hurry to close up shop that night. Um, We got there, and the floors were swept, and many of the chairs were already stacked up, and the open sign had been turned off a good half hour before This place actually closed. I'm not talking about like, you know, a nice restaurant where you go and you sit down and you order and it takes a while and it's understandable. You know, you don't want to take customers after a certain time. I'm talking about a place where you order at the counter and and you're in and out uh, usually in 30 minutes or less. And so we we went ahead and and went in and, and, and ordered our food. And as we sat down to eat our food, somebody walked in the the front door who clearly was important in the everyday operations of that particular business. Because we quickly watched the young employees' demeanor change as they were asked how long the open sign had been turned off. (laughs) They were no longer in quite such a hurry to close up shop that night. But church, all of us have 
been confronted by a superior through the scriptures. The great I am, the Alpha and Omega, the light of the world, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and who he is demands and deserves a response from us. And the right response to Jesus is always to worship him. Just like his disciples did here in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Because they recognized who he was. And because worship and right worship of God is vitally important to the church and to us as followers of Christ, we spent the summer looking at the picture of biblical worship through the rich Old Testament book of Malachi. And I hope through, through that particular study, we saw the importance of approaching God rightly and worshiping Him as He deserves. And ultimately, I hope that we, that we saw that, that biblical worship ultimately centers in Jesus Christ, the one to whom the Old Testament law and prophets pointed Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. And I hope every time that, that you or, or I open our Bibles and we, we look at Scripture individually or proclaim Scripture or study Scripture as a group in this place, I hope that the worthiness of Jesus is evident every single time. Father God, may, may the glory and greatness and worth of Jesus be evident in our time in your word. Today, Jesus is worthy of our worship. The reality is Jesus will only, will only be worshipped by those who see him. He will only be, be given what he deserves and what is due him by, by those who recognize him. By those who, who know who he is. And that leads us to The second biblical truth that we see from this passage that true worship of Jesus leads to discipleship. True worship of Jesus leads to discipleship. And because Jesus will only be rightly worshipped by those who who know Him and who see Him, God has charged us with the task of taking His name and the truth about Him to other people. Look back at verses 19 and 20. Jesus told his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we encounter Christ through our worship, through our time in his word, through our corporate gatherings, the natural response is, is to want to know Him more, to grow in that walk with Him, and to bring others alongside us in the process. And as a result, Jesus told His followers to make disciples or make other followers of Him. That is the command here, to make disciples. The going and the baptizing, the teaching, these are, these are all participles in the original language of the New Testament to describe various aspects or various 
characteristics of that disciple-making process. But we are called to, to take the message of Christ and to come alongside other believers, and we do this in the church, and to grow together with them, to seek to know Him more, and to learn more about what it means to follow Him and to live for Him, but we're also told to, to go out and to bring others alongside us in that process. And Jesus spent His ministry, he spent, spent three years daily discipling others. Daily teaching and instructing other people, other men, what it meant to, to believe in Him and to live for Him and to follow Him as Lord, as Messiah, as the Son of God. And we know from, from our time in God's Word, especially in the book of Acts, that, that these disciples, that these followers didn't suddenly stop meeting together didn't suddenly stop growing together in their walk with Christ. In fact, the picture in the book of Acts, which is, which is a record of the spread of the church, the, the early church, the New Testament church, we see a picture of, of these early disciples meeting together day after day after, te- after day, devoting themselves to, to the teaching of Scripture and to fellowship and to prayer and to breaking bread together. It was an ongoing task of learning together, growing together about what it meant to follow Christ together. And they were also out sharing the word, bringing others in to be a part of that process. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a disciple maker. Disciples are disciple makers. We are called to grow together as believers in Christ and to go and to reproduce other believers in Jesus Christ. And so we're charged with the message here to go and to know it and to tell it, to proclaim it, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that salvation is not found in ourselves. It's not found from within. We, we can't do anything to be good enough in the, in the eyes of God. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. And so we're We're told to go and to proclaim the message of forgiveness of salvation and the one who who can save us and desires to save us and lay down his life for us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for us. We're called to go and to proclaim that message. And ultimately, that's what we're called to do because it's God who convicts the heart And leads people to respond to that truth by his Holy Spirit. But we're charged with the task, with the message. And as we see people respond, we see here, and we see examples throughout the rest of the New Testament, that as people respond to that truth, we're we're told to baptize them, which is an outward sign, declaring that they have identified themselves with Jesus and they're submitting to him as Lord. And we're instructed to, to teach them, to instruct them in the ways of Jesus. Our task as the church, our task as followers of Christ is to go and reproduce other followers of Jesus who, who see him and know him for who he is and whose lives are transformed by him as ours have been. And the reality is this is, this is not a burden in the sense of something to be dreaded. This is a joy. It is a privilege to proclaim the good news of salvation in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. This is the way that 
that God has planned to operate. He has invited us to come alongside him and to work through us in the process of of speaking his message, of taking his message, of seeing others respond to his message. True worship of Jesus leads to discipleship, to making other disciples. And this is why we have spent the last several weeks in Ephesians chapter 4 looking at what it means to grow together as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. And I hope through that series that we've seen some distinctive marks of those that, that profess Jesus as Lord and desire to live for Him. And because worship leads to true discipleship, as a church, we must continue to cultivate this environment of worship, an environment of worship here that, that seeks to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. So as we encounter Jesus in worship, then we, we're led to, to pursue knowing him and, and growing together in him, in this place with other believers in Christ, and then to go and to take his greatness, his name, and to spread it across the earth. So we've seen that that Jesus is worthy of worship. We've seen that true worship of Jesus leads to discipleship. And the third truth that I want us to see from this passage this morning is that the command is to make disciples of all nations. The command is to make disciples of all nations. Look back at verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And as we grow in our walks with Christ as we seek to be obedient to the message and the charge and the calling of Christ as laid out in his word, then we will be about making other followers of Jesus Christ in this place, in this nation, and across the world. I've mentioned once before what G. Campbell Morgan, pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, Uh, in the first part of the 20th century, has said about this particular passage. He said it is a great and gracious and spacious commission. It is a great and gracious and spacious commission. I love that. And because that's what it is, and that's the kind of God that we serve, we as a church will be about local mission efforts and national mission efforts. And producing other followers of Christ in the Americas and ultimately in all nations across the world. This is what we are to be about. You see, way back, roughly 4,000 years ago, none of us were around, but this is, this is what God tells us through his word, the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to a man named Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we know through time in this book, through God's word, that when God gave that promise to Abram, who became Abraham, and we trace that covenantal promise through him and through the line of his descendants, that ultimately 
he was saying that through Abraham's offspring, the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we come to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. The very first chapter, the very first verse of the New Testament. And read these words. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, ultimately, when God gave that promise to Abraham in the Old Testament and Abraham's descendants, he was saying that through Abraham's greatest descendant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we come to the New Testament and we see that the Son of God, a descendant of David, a descendant of Abraham, was born on that first Christmas morning in a little town called Bethlehem and ultimately would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And we come to the end of Matthew's gospel. We see that the followers of Jesus are charged now to take the message of Christ and to go and to produce other followers of Christ in all nations. I believe in the providence of God. Matthew's gospel both begins and ends with Jesus Christ as a blessing to the nations. Make no mistake about it, church. God is a God of the nations. He loves the nations. And because that is who he is, we ought to be about that. We ought to love the nations as well. We saw a picture of this even in our time in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, when God told the people through Malachi that his name would be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. We even saw it in our time in Ephesians when when a Jewish Paul wrote to a Gentile church and reminded them that, that we're all members of one body, one body of Christ, one church as those who have experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. There is No room for discrimination when it comes to proclaiming the gospel message from the people of God for the glory of God. And so as a church, we will be about that. We will be about making much of Jesus Christ, declaring his greatness through our worship, through our discipleship, and through our missions, all for the glory of God. And because that is the type of God that we serve, because that is the God that we worship, because that is the God of scriptures, We're going to spend the next several weeks looking at that third way of making much of Jesus. Looking at one of the greatest missionary efforts, one of the greatest missionary journeys ever recorded, found in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And I hope, I hope that you'll be here. I hope that you'll be a part of that as we seek to to look at at that incredible journey and, and the way that God worked in it. And also seek to glean insight for us, instructions for us, an example for us as a church to be engaging in that same type of behavior, all for the glory of God. We are called to worship God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in all nations. Matthew's gospel ends and Jesus ascends back into heaven to his rightful place on the throne next to the Father. But the mission continues. 
The story isn't over. He has charged his followers, his disciples, whom he has invested in and taught and transformed to carry on that task, to go and to produce other disciples who will make other disciples who will make other disciples of Jesus Christ. And we, church, are called to do the very same thing. And the good news is that they were not left alone to do it, and neither are we left alone to accomplish that task because Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. So the question for us this morning, both individually and as a church, is are we making much of Jesus? Are we making much of Jesus? Are you making much of Jesus? Let's be about making much of King Jesus as we worship God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in all nations. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are found there. Lord, we are grateful that that you have called each of us to follow you. Lord, we're grateful that, that we've heard the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I'm grateful for, for all those, including myself, who have somehow, by your leading, responded to that message, even despite our own sin, Lord. Lord, help us to be ever grateful of what you've done for us. Help us to be ever gospel-minded as we look to the cross and the message of the cross and the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, by your grace. Lord, I pray that you would compel us to be about making other followers of Jesus Christ, that you would compel us to be about speaking that truth among our families, among our friends, among our co-workers in this world, and ultimately, Lord, across the nature, nations, Lord, all for, for your glory. For you are worthy, Lord, you are worthy of our worship, Lord. I pray that you've been glorified in us during this time, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to be glorified in us as we seek to worship you, as we conclude our time together this morning as your church, but also as we leave this place, Lord. May we live lives that are pleasing to you, that lift high and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.